You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Fantasy Football Today, DFS. My name is Sia Nishad. That right there is Mike McClure. We are recapping week three. We are going to take an early look at week four. Mike, how was your week three? Frustrating. It wasn't great. wasn't bad. Uh, frustrating. Once again, showdown kind of bailed me out last night again. Um, but yeah, overall, it was not bad. Hit on a lot of plays. Had a few players that were injured that really, really hurt. And yeah, pretty good. How about you? So, you know, it was very frustrating. That's like the perfect word for it because my cash lines fell just short and a lot of that was due to injury. In my tournament lineups, I had some injury concerns, but, you know, I cashed in some of my tournament lineups, but overall it was actually a losing weekend and I was very frustrated with my cash lineups. We're going to see that in a few minutes, but some of these injuries were really big. Like if if you had decided to go even though Dalvin Cook had a nice game. But if you had decided to go Dalvin Cook as leverage off of Justin Jefferson, which in a couple lineups I did, even though I like Justin Jefferson, if you had decided to go with Chalky David Montgomery, if you had decided to go with T. Higgins, like they like T. Higgins was great, but like he could he should have had a much, much bigger game. So um, we're going to talk about all that when we recap our lineups and, and when we take an early look at week four, because frankly, some value was opened up, Mike, when it comes to week four. And we didn't have that type of value in week three or week two, did we? No, we didn't. Uh, and, you know, last week we talked about it on Tuesday even. Uh, you know, if, if things feel uncomfortable at this point in the week, last week it, it was normal. It was a difficult week. Uh, I think it'll be a little different this time, though. Absolutely. And I do want to give a congratulations. Our first 200-person contest, our uh, two, FFT DFS contest, the winner, Spicel 1089. I think the 1089, I'm assuming that's uh, a birthday, October 1989. So uh, congratulations to Spicel. We're going to be going over your lineup. Again, that's the winner of our first 200-person contest. I think this week is going to be 200, pers- 200 entries as well. So that link is available. Uh, that contest is filling up pretty fast. It's usually filled up by Friday. So I strongly encourage you to get uh, reserve that lineup either right now uh, because the link is in the is in the YouTube uh, description and it'll also be in the podcast description. So please go ahead and register for that FFT DFS tournament. And oh, by the way, if you're watching us on YouTube, please hit the like button. But let's get right into it, Mike. Let's get into your cash lineup. And we're going to have Zach put that up. It scored 105.80. Um, certainly not our best cash week as we just addressed. You had Cousins to Irv Smith. You had Fournette and Montgomery at running back. You had Diggs, Amon Ross St. Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster, Dallas Goddard at flex. Uh, you had a dual tight end, Goddard at flex, and um, you had the Panthers' uh, defense. So Irv Smith, Goddard in this cash lineup. Tell us about it. 
Yeah, uh, I liked Kirk Cousins a lot. He really kind of disappointed uh, overall. I stacked him with Irv Smith. Look, did not get what anywhere close to what we thought we would get uh, there. Uh, running back, Montgomery, injured very early in the game. One of the most frustrating things. It happens, you know, two or three times a year. You play a running back, think it's a really good spot, gets injured, backup comes in and crushes, becomes one of the best plays on the slate. Uh, yeah, we've seen that a lot. It happened again here with Khalil Herbert and uh, David Montgomery. So that hurt. Um, everything else was just kind of middling. Like I said, I got Amonra St. Brown as the bring back here. Getting this score from a game that still, you know, scored 50 points in the game it was pretty frustrating overall. Um, yeah. Well, well Mike, you, go ahead. You know, what's, you know what's so much more frustrating about that is I ended up playing a lot of DeAndre Swift. I, I was doing, like I said on the Thursday show, I wasn't stacking this game as much as most people. In fact, I was getting away from this game from a pure like game stack standpoint, and I was getting away from that Bills game. I was focused on the Eagles and that Cincinnati Bengals contrarian stack that you had suggested earlier in the week. What's so frustrating, though, is I did have skinny stacks in this game, of course, with DeAndre Swift and Justin Jefferson or DeAndre Swift and you know Dalvin Cook, which isn't the best correlation, or maybe an Irv Smith. I had a lot of DeAndre Swift. So in this game, that really, it hit the total – but none of the superstars got us there. It was very, very strange. It was, uh, yeah, very frustrating. I know someone out there had a uh, Swift and David Montgomery, obviously a different game, but those were the two running backs. Just a very unfortunate uh, sequence of events if you had those two running backs this week. Absolutely. So Dallas Goddard, I mean, I, I certainly like that play. I think he would have gotten there. I think he had to leave the game, but he came back. Yep. You know, the problem with the Eagles, and we'll get that into that when we go to my cash lineup, is that, Washington just didn't do anything in the second half. So you you figured Washington at home was going to apply some pressure. It was going to compel the Eagles offense to keep their foot on the gas. And they just didn't need to. And they just went into neutral because Washington gave no pushback. And honestly, that's something, once we get to the early look, Mike, that's something I want to talk to you about when it comes to that Eagles-Jacksonville game. Because I love that game for obvious reasons. I've been a big Jalen Hurts guy this entire season from a DFS standpoint. But I have a similar worry, and I'm just not sure if that worry is warranted. It's it's certainly, I get it with the Washington football team, but with Jacksonville, they are playing a lot better. But I don't know. This Eagles defense is, is really, really great, and I think it's a concern that's valid. So we're going to talk about that later in the show. Um, all right, so let's go to my cash lineup. My cash lineup, it scored 117.10, felt just under the, the cash line. This one did not cash. Jalen Hurts naked. Uh, I, I like that play. You know, my favorite stack from a GPP standpoint, was Jalen Hurts to A.J. Brown. At least that was on my cheat sheet. But when I talked about my cheat sheet, I was very specific that Jalen Hurts naked, Jalen Hurts to A.J. Brown, Jalen Hurts to Devontae Smith, or Dallas Goddard, all of those are in play. Obviously, if you played that Jalen-Devontae Smith uh, you know, stack, you were in good shape there. But my lineup featured Jalen Hurts, uh, Fournette, and Montgomery at running back. It had Jalen Waddle, T. Higgins, Curtis Samuel, and Gabe Davis – uh, at the wide receiver and flex spot, Irv Smith at tight end, uh, as we talked about. And I also had the Panthers D. So uh, a lot of us were in on the Panthers D there. Um, is Zach, if you can put that lineup up, but Mike, knowing this lineup, you know, Fournette and Montgomery, I do want to put the disclaimer out there. Fournette was my fade this week, but I was very, very specific about he's my fade in GPP. In fact, when we tweeted the cheat sheet out, uh, I made sure that the tweet actually read, Sia is fading Leonard Fournette in GPPs. And I spelled out that in the tweet like I did on Thursday's episode because I understand playing Fournette in cash. I frankly didn't love playing him in GPPs, and I was very specific about that on Thursday. But 
nonetheless, Fournette did kind of what I expect. I thought he'd get a little bit more than this, but certainly wasn't a ceiling game from him. Uh, David Montgomery got injured. Uh, Irv Smith didn't do much. You know, Curtis Samuel actually had a decent game. T. Higgins, if he hadn't got injured for a good majority of that game or taken out of that game, I think he would have done better. And then Gabe Davis dropped a touchdown. You know, that 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 certainly hurt. But Mike, you know, I don't know what you feel about this lineup. It wasn't like super correlated. Obviously, Jalen Hurts was correlated with Curtis Samuel. But other than that, I was really just going for some chalky plays. I had a skinny stack with Waddle and Gabe Davis. Uh, I'm surprised Waddle's number is as low as it is. But any particular issues with this lineup? I mean, are you surprised it didn't get there? Again, if David Montgomery stays healthy and T. Higgins plays a full four quarters, I think this easily cashes, right? Yeah, probably easily cashes. I will say the thing on Montgomery is he was very highly owned. So the thing that mostly happens in that case is it just raises the the floor on the cash lineup. But this one would have most likely just snuck, snuck in, uh, mm-hmm. which changes the course of your week significantly. Um, so, yeah, it's an unfortunate event for sure. Um, Gabe Davis, I liked him, especially knowing what kind of ownership he was looking at. Um, yeah, I, I don't see any real glaring issues with the lineup. Um Panthers D exactly where I was as well. Yeah, just unfortunate week, really. Just middle, kind of middling results across the board. Right, and it, certainly the Jalen Hurts play paid off. I, I genuinely think if Washington had applied even a little bit of pressure, like uh, any sort of points in the third quarter, a field goal, a touchdown, anything, I think Jalen would have would have gone for forty in in uh, DraftKings. So that's unfortunate. Let's get to some lineups that cashed. We cashed in our GPPs. We did well there. It was just our cash lines that fell a little short. But, Mike, your GPP, it scored a 139.48. You had Derek Carr to Devontae Adams. You talked about how you were going right back to Devontae Adams. But here's the thing. Devontae, not so much. But we did talk about Matt Collins. Probably not as much as we should have, frankly. But Matt Collins uh, was amazing. So Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Matt Collins in your GPP lineup. Uh, David Montgomery and Damian Pierce absolutely get that from a value standpoint. Damian Pierce only being 5,000. He had a good game, you know, as expected. He didn't have a pass catching role, but he got in the end zone and he was pretty efficient with his runs. Jamar Chase and Stefan Diggs as his other wide receivers and Irv Smith at tight end. Man, the, the one thing, and I saw you shaking your head, I am really surprised Jamar Chase didn't get there in this game. Uh, wh- what are your comments to this, uh, to your GPP lineup? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, th- this lineup was unfortunate. Uh, look, it won. I-, I did quite well with this lineup. Uh, but Montgomery's injury, brutal. Like, definitely hurt yeah. this one in tournaments for sure. And then the combination of Stefan Diggs, Jamar Chase, and Devontae Adams essentially racking up what would have been a, a Tyree kill game from last week with the combination of the three of them. Uh, and then you've got Matt Collins in there. So, look, I love the lineup. Uh, double stack, Carr, Hollins. Adams, we basically got what we should have got from those three. It just didn't come in the form of what, you know, where we thought it would come from. Um, but yeah, Jamar Chase, super frustrating. Herb Smith, very frustrating. I played him in essentially every lineup here. Uh, I thought it was a very obvious value. He was okay. I was expecting five catches, 50 yards, and, and you know, mm-hmm. hopeful, obviously always hopeful for a touchdown. But this is a lineup looking back that while it scored 140, uh, it had 200 point potential in my, I guess, biased opinion. <laughs> yeah. So what's interesting is, you know, as much as Devonte Adams hurt you, really, Mac Hollins picked up, you know, that yeah. that that deficiency there. It really was Stefan Diggs and Jamar Chase, these these high priced receivers. You know, Jamar Chase had a pretty low number. I'm actually surprised it was as high as it was at 14.4 percent, just because I know people were playing a lot of Stefan Diggs. But the point is. 
th- those guys should have had much better games. I was I was actually really shocked. Jamar Chase was shocked too. I mean, he was frustrated on the sideline, as far as I could tell, um, that entire game for whatever reason he might have had there. So uh, great lineup. Obviously, you can see at the top here it cashed uh, pretty big, but it's the one. It's one of those things. It's like it's bittersweet because a healthy David Montgomery and either any sort of ceiling game or anything approaching a ceiling game from Jamar Chase or Stephon Diggs, and this lineup is in really, really, really good shape. So good job, Mike, on that one. So let's go to my GPP lineup. Uh, a few less points than yours. Yours was 139. Mine was 131.30. It did make the cash. Uh, by the way, I, I should point out that in my tournaments, um, I'm usually playing, and I've, I've, I've addressed this before, but I'm usually playing single entry, three max, uh, the five max $33 entry I, I tend to play a lot. So just know that going in – the with respect to the lineup construction and and how you're assessing it, it's usually in a single entry, a three max, uh, those types of DraftKings tournaments. So my lineup, 131.30, Jalen Hurts to Devontae Smith. That's certainly paid off. Curtis Samuel run back. Listen, this Curtis Samuel thing, it's not going away, folks. Uh, he's His ADOT is low. He's getting very high value targets in terms of quality of, of, of receptions. Uh, th- these are not going down the field. They're basically uh, glorified pitches to uh, Curtis Samuel. And I had, uh, like I said, a lot of DeAndre Swift. I had Raheem Mostert as a contrarian play. I was really surprised at how that game uh, turned out. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, I had T. Higgins as my other wide receiver, uh, Irv Smith at tight end. And I went with the contrarian. And this is crazy. Christian McCaffrey at 2.4%. So when I saw ownership shaking out, I certainly wasn't big on Christian McCaffrey this week, but it just seemed like a really perfect time to play one of these contrarian running backs. Like everybody was paying up for the receivers. So just from a game theory standpoint, I I thought Christian McCaffrey made a ton of sense. And clearly the Carolina Panthers just aren't good on offense. Um, Baker Mayfield, just it's just a, it's a bad scene all around. I think he, I have it down here somewhere. I think he might have had four targets, caught two of them. They 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 rushed him. I mean, he had over twenty rushing attempts, but it just didn't work out for Christian McCaffrey. And I and I, I tend to worry about this whole team offensively, but in particular, Christian McCaffrey. The Mostert thing, Mike. You know, I was trying to be early on Mostert. I saw what I thought was a, a slight changing of the guard there, particularly with those red zone touches, and it just it reverted back to week one. And so, I mean, that's kind of my fault in a sense. I mean, I, I'm. I'm trying to deduce a trend from a one or two week sample size, but I thought at 4,500, if I can get if I can get this play to work at less well well under 10% ownership, that I have tremendous leverage on the field, and of course that 4,500 is allowing me to do things like play Christian McCaffrey in my flex spot, uh, who could obviously blow up at any given moment. So this lineup cashed. It was very good, but it was very good because Jalen Hurts to Devontae Smith. Uh, the Curtis Samuel run back was fine. Uh, any other comments here, though? Obviously, everybody else, T. Higgins should have had a bigger game, but everybody else was was pretty bad in this lineup. Yeah, no, I love it. Honestly, the the Mostert play, I love. Uh, I did something similar, and you know, some of the users that have been here for our listeners for a while know that I do this too. Uh, I did the same thing with Naeem Hines this week, and I had lineups in the 130s that cashed with him as well. Uh, $5,000 Naeem Hines, you're going to find single-digit ownership. I do that a lot when there are cheaper running backs like Damian Pierce and some of the other players that are relevant. Uh, Montgomery, frankly, at his price point. I drop down, save a little bit of money, take a lot of leverage, and, and go spend elsewhere. So I love that you did that here. It's just an unfortunate result, but it's something that I would do again and again for sure. And we got a comment here from Jay Peach. Jay Peach and everybody else uh, watching and listening, uh, please go ahead and hit that like button if you haven't already. But he says, like I preached all offseason, Chase will finish outside the top 12 for wide receivers and Burrow outside the top 10 for QBs. 
I don't have a problem with that take. I mean, especially the Burrow part, because I didn't think Burrow was going to be a big quarterback. I mean, I think Chase is probably going to still be in the top 12. But the reason I kind of like that take and I wanted to highlight it for a second is because I really love T. Higgins. And the way this game was tracking, T. Higgins was going to have a gigantic game. And frankly, a touchdown got taken away from him, in my opinion. I thought he made an amazing catch. He got real high (laughs) and came down with two feet. I thought he tapped both toes in. And uh, apparently because of the call on the field, they weren't going to count that as a touchdown catch. But he was on his way to potentially something approaching a 200-yard game, a ton of receptions, and maybe a touchdown or two. So uh, as it relates to T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, I think we all need to start considering T. Higgins as equal to Jamar Chase as opposed to a wide receiver, too. Um, Yeah. Okay, let's go to let's go to Spicel 1089 before we go to our early look. And by the way, anybody listening, if you um, have some redraft questions, as much as we would like to field it, I do want to point out there's a live stream coming up with Adam Azer and Dan Schneier at eight o'clock tonight on this channel, on this YouTube channel. So get in that live stream at eight o'clock with Adam and Dan, and they're going to answer all your redraft questions and going to have a ton of information for your season long teams. But uh, with that, yeah, Spicel 1089 took down our first ever 200 person contest and he put up wow it's a good number 171.20 he had Jalen Hurts but he doubled him up with AJ Brown and Devontae Smith with the Curtis Samuel bring back that looks familiar uh James Robinson and Damian Pierce at running back I think Robinson is is clearly like the key to this lineup winning obviously he was owned at 2.5 percent Stefan Diggs was his other receiver Jawan Johnson at tight end goose egg but no big deal. Uh, it allowed him to do certain things with his lineup that that ended up working out. And then he went with the Eagles defense, which made a lot of sense uh, against Washington, knowing that they were probably going to abuse that offensive line. So, uh, Mike, any thoughts on this lineup from Spicel 1089? I like the lineup a lot. Uh, the Robinson play was very interesting, but actually very sharp uh, in hindsight. And the other fun fact about this, this is the second we've had three tournaments so far. The second time this year where someone has taken down first place with a zero in their lineup Mm. at the tight end position Uh, shows you you do not have to be perfect in these single entry, smaller field tournaments like this. You do not have to be perfect. You have to be right on basically three to four players, almost always having the defense. The defense is typically going to be key. Uh, Mm -hmm. Here it was. I thought it was going to ultimately be the Panthers, which is what you and I played a bunch Mm -hmm. of. I uh, mm-hmm. love this play on the Eagles. It's a very unconventional play, but it's one that I made a few times in the past where I would essentially stack up a team to just absolutely dominate, which would be quarterback, get two touchdowns, whether or, you know, from, from the wide receivers there and then uh, play the defense. And that's what they did. Great lineup. Yeah, what's interesting here, I mean, one thing I wouldn't have done, and, and maybe it's an error on my part, but, you know, when you have a running quarterback, Mike, like Jalen Hurts, to me, and I know the conventional wisdom in the DFS community is, you, you know, you stack him with one guy because the idea is if you stack him with two, it's just too much to go around because you're trusting Jalen Hurts' legs to get you pretty far for his score. And you're trusting his arm to get one receiver there. But it, are you typically, you're spreading yourself too thin if you're, if you're taking a running quarterback and stacking him with two pass catchers, correct? Yes, you definitely are. Uh, The only thing I will comment on that is we have to look at and understand, is Jalen Hurts really a massive running quarterback anymore is the question. I think that he obviously will always have that upside. Um, I'm trying to pull up some of the game logs to see the numbers so far this season. So he he ran crazy in week one. Uh, Week two had the rushing touchdowns. That, That part makes sense. But 
in this game, only 20 rushing yards. So you, you nailed it on uh, picking the game that he wasn't going to run as much. Um, but yeah, going forward, probably wouldn't double stack. And if I were to double stack, it would be Goddard and one of the receivers, not both of the receivers together. Right. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we're ready, Mike, to uh, unless you have any any final thoughts on week three, I think we're ready to dive into week four. And, and I do want to say again, uh, a reminder, eight o'clock p.m. We have uh, Dan Schneier and we have Adam Azer going over all your season long questions and everything heading into week four. Uh, I encourage everybody to like and subscribe to this channel. Please go ahead and do that if you haven't already. But um, let's hear a word from our partners and then we will take a look at uh, week four. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we are back. My name is Sia Najad. That's Mike McClure. We just did our week three recap, and now we are ready to do our week four early look. Um, I really like doing this, Mike. I think it really sets the table for um, especially the value plays in week four and the, and the types of stacks we should be keeping an eye on. So let's get right to it. I'll tell you, it's this is a very interesting slate. It's a 12-game slate. We have a handful of games that are in that 50-ish range. I isolated 48 and above, uh, mostly because that 48 game is the Jags and the Eagles, and I do like that game quite a bit again. So some some of the 48 to 50 to you know 51, 52 games, Jags, Eagles, Bills, Ravens, that's going to be a hot one. Um, Seahawks, Lions, Browns, Falcons, those are all pretty high totals. I'll note, we talked about late swap. We talk about it every single episode, actually. But this is going to be... Um, Probably a situation this week where you're going to be playing mostly one o'clock games. The three afternoon games all have a total of 44 or, or below. So likely not investing too much in those games and likely not late swapping onto pieces in, in those games. But obviously, we'll address that in our game by game breakdown on Thursday. But let's start at the QB position, Mike. We've got two heavy hitters at the top. I should say three. That's disrespectful to Jalen Hurts. Josh Allen, 8,400. Lamar Jackson, 8,300. Jalen Hurts, 8,200. They're all in great games with great totals. This price is very justified. Is there one that stands out over the other to you? Uh, I like Lamar just because he has the, the rushing upside. Uh, I know Josh Allen does too, but I really think Lamar has the true rushing upside here at this point. He's also been fantastic uh, in the pocket, which is going to open up some of that rushing at some point this season as well. Um, so at the top, I like Lamar. I, I like Jalen Hurts. It's hard not to like Jalen Hurts. I think they're going to, you know, that lineup that we saw that just took down the tournament last week. I'm not going to double stack both receivers, but it would not shock me at all if it's a Jalen Hurts lineup and the Eagles absolutely roll in this spot. Um, mm-hmm. So I like 
all three of the top three here on the screen. Uh, and then I could consider Kyler Murray and some of the tournaments even, because I think that they should be favored against Carolina, not the underdogs like they are. And then I have one other value quarterback, but I don't know if you want me to tell you value quarterbacks yet, or if we're just talking at the top right now. Well, let's talk at the top because I want to I want to ask you the question I sort of led the show with when it comes to Jalen Hurts and and Jacksonville. Again, this is Jacksonville at Philadelphia, so it's it's a tough situation for Jacksonville. And you know, just coming off this Washington game with Philly, where they just were not able to apply any pressure on offense. Now, granted, I, I think the Jacksonville offensive line is a little bit better than Washington's offensive line, and and I know that was re- the real problem for Washington was just Wentz couldn't get the ball off. He got sacked nine times, but. Do you worry at all that Jacksonville's not going to be able to push back? They've certainly looked dynamic the last couple of weeks, but let's not forget they lost to Washington week one. I don't have a huge worry about it, but it is sitting there in the back of my mind. How about yours? Oh, yeah, it's definitely in the back of my mind there. Uh, look, this is a tough spot for Jacksonville. There, there's a lot going on in this game. Uh, it's one of the more difficult travel spots that a team will face in the National Football League this year. They just traveled. You know, They're obviously an East Coast team on, in Florida, traveled out to L.A. to play now travel back home to Jacksonville, sitting in Jacksonville. Then they're going to go up the East Coast here to play Philly all while a hurricane is going on, potentially having to evacuate the area, worrying about their families, doing all these things in between those massive travel spots uh, against a team that looks like one of the best teams in the National Football League right now. I think it's a really tough spot, so it's definitely a concern of mine. I think they apply more pressure than Washington. I think if you replay that Washington game a hundred times, they apply more pressure than that. 98 of the hundred times Uh, It's just kind of a a fluky outcome in terms of how poor the actual scoreboard result ended up being for Washington. Uh, They were clearly still outmatched. Let's not, you know, pretend that they weren't, they definitely were. Uh, But I think that, you'll definitely see more resistance uh, from Jacksonville in this game. So, Mike, we do a lot of stuff on the early edge and and uh, with Sportsline, including golf stuff for the Sanderson Farms, uh, which I know you're going to have uh, material on Sportsline for, and, and I actually am too, a little first-round leader article that I'm going to do tonight. But I, I bring that up because I'm just curious. This is the same spread. Washington was a six-and-a-half-point dog against Philly, and Jacksonville is a six-and-a-half-point dog against Philly. Uh, because of the spot that Jacksonville is in, especially coming off that impressive win, uh, are you? do you have a lean either way? I know it's early in the week, but oh, I yeah. kind of like the Eagles here, and I certainly like them in a money line parlay as well. Yeah, I love the Eagles here. Uh, I just wrapped the early edge mega preview uh, you know, an hour ago, and we, we talked about this game extensively. Uh, our good pal RJ White is on Philly minus six and a half. I have mm-hmm. Philly in three, actually three different teasers, bringing them down to minus a half. So essentially on the money line in those teasers as well. Uh, I love them in this spot. And I made the claim that, you know, in my, oh, look, I run simulations. My simulation number is eight and a half. And I would argue that it could be closer to nine and a half. But my claim that I made, Justin Herbert played in the last game and they beat Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert's clearly not healthy. If that game had been against Chase Daniel, this number would still be north of seven. But because Justin Herbert was on the field, this mm-hmm. thing is sitting at six and a half where it is. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's Eagles or nothing here in this game for sure. Absolutely. And I'll, I've said it once, I'll say it again. Uh, please uh, be a subscriber to Sportsline. It's just such great material. And obviously, make sure you subscribe to The Early Edge as well. That's a, that's a daily show. It's a few shows per day. They talk about bets. Um 
every single day and props and things of that nature. I do a prop show on on Fridays with them. It's 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 just it's great great material. So make sure you're subscribed to uh, the Early Edge. Okay, so I got a couple of value quarterbacks. Maybe this is one of them. The six K range. It just didn't really impress me too much. So we can go over some of the quarterbacks uh, in that six K range on the Thursday game by game breakdown. But Jared Goff at fifty nine hundred and Marcus Mariota at fifty six hundred were two guys that I had my eye on. I'll tell you, I played the afternoon slate a decent amount last week, and uh, Mariota was was the guy I was jamming into those few lineups. So either of those guys jump out to you, and if not, who was your value? Yeah, they jump out to me. Uh, Jared Goff for sure at fifty nine, but my real value is Geno Smith. I'm going to play Geno wow. Smith this week. Uh, fifty four hundred dollar Geno Smith on the road at Detroit. Look. I should have brought this up when we talked about the the recap from week three. One thing we learned in week three is the Lions are still the Lions in late game situations. They cough up a ton of yards, a ton of points. We just watched Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks in a very similar matchup against the Atlanta Falcons. I say similar in that the Atlanta Falcons defensively profile very similar to the Detroit Lions. We don't have to worry about elements in this game at all. I think this is a great spot to deploy Geno Smith. You can see the game logs here in this spot. Over 22 fantasy points in the last game as well. Look, Geno Smith has got some upside here. I like him in this spot at this price point. And correct me if I'm wrong, as I as I scan the lines here, that total is a lot higher than people think. What is that, at 49 uh, yeah, it was 50 earlier, uh, at least the line we were using when we did the mega preview over there. And a couple of us uh, from the show have pretty healthy leans, including one play on the over. Yeah, actually, I'll tell you, um, maybe you move the line or at least you move the juice because the total is 50 currently. I'm, I'm looking at DraftKings right now and it's minus 115. Uh, that, that's compared to the minus 105 on the under. So so if, if you're thinking, well, Geno Smith doesn't sound like a very good play. Well, clearly they think both offenses are going to click in this game because keep in mind, it's only a four and a half point spread. So the implied totals on both of those teams are are pretty significant there. So I think I think Geno is a really interesting play. For me, it just comes down to whether I have the guts to play Geno Smith and whether or not I just want to jam in the top quarterbacks knowing that there's going to be a pretty good amount of value that's going to open up that we're going to talk about in a second at the running back and the wide receiver position. So let's actually go over to the running back position. Um, you know, at the top, it's some familiar names, right? We have Jonathan Taylor at 8,800. He's been underwhelming. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, 8,700. I should note that Jonathan Taylor's at home against Tennessee, as you can see here if you're watching us on YouTube. Christian McCaffrey at home against the Arizona Cardinals. Then we have Derrick Henry at Indianapolis. He's 8,300. And then it goes down there in the 8K range. We finish it off with Saquon Barkley at home in a pretty nice matchup there against Chicago. Any of these top running backs sticking out to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it ultimately is going to depend on what kind of roster construction you have with the quarterback position. Uh, but yeah, the, the top names... Um, I, I think it's a good week to play Barkley once again. Um, I, I think Nick Chubb could also have a very, very big game uh, against Atlanta. Um, look, they're they're all in play. When, when we talk about guys like Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, they're, they're priced the way they are for a reason because they are all very, very talented. You can play them all in tournaments, like I said, pretty much any week. Uh, but at this point in the week, I think there's going to be too much value at the running back position in particular to really – force your way there. Uh, so at the top, I will say that I'm probably most interested in Barkley and Chubb, but I can't rule out in a tournament a flyer on Aaron Jones just because of the situation in New England. 
Absolutely. Um, I, I was right about Christian McCaffrey. Two receptions on four targets. He, he got past 100 yards on just sheer rushing attempt volume. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, pretty inefficient last week. Interesting note about Derrick Henry. And, and, and this is probably a product of just the, the Tennessee Titans not having a ton of weapons. But 20 rushes for 85 yards and a touchdown, that's great. But he also caught five or six targets for 58 yards. Um, as we see up here, um, Zach bringing it up on YouTube. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know that he's going to get six targets every game, but um, we are looking at uh, what appears to be a trend of Derrick Henry, you know, getting uh, a few more targets than I think people expect, even with, uh, oh, yeah. you know, A.J. Brown, you know, not being here and whatnot. So uh, Saquon Barkley, 14 rushes, 81 yards and a touchdown and caught four or four targets. So um, Barkley, I, I'll tell you, of this 8K range and above, and I should include uh, Chubb in there at 7,900, uh, Barkley is certainly the guy that stands out to me. I assume he's going to stand out to others as well. I think people are going to be generally just off Christian McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor at those prices. But if that becomes a leverage opportunity from an ownership standpoint, uh, it's certainly something to consider. So as we get into the 7K range, I know you already mentioned Nick Chubb. Anybody else standing out to you? It's not a big range. We have DeAndre Swift, who's you know probably not going to play until week seven, if, in case anybody doesn't know that news. He's got some injuries that he's going to be nursing. So we're going to have some value open up that we're going to talk about in a second as it relates to the Lions. But Aaron Jones, you mentioned Eckler, Chubb. Um, it sounds like Aaron Jones might be in play there because of the matchup. Yeah, I think Aaron Jones could be in play there. Um, just it should be a very easy, I say very easy. It should be a game that the Packers should win and control. Um, you know, you have this horrible box score from the week before, and now they have an easy matchup, much like the easy matchup against Chicago. It's just one of these spots where we see the big Aaron Jones games. No one's going to play him really at this price point where he's at. Uh, so I've got my eyes on him for tournaments here. Do you think the ownership will be so low on Austin Eckler because of just his production and his volume? And the, you know, obviously, Sony Michelle's getting a lot of runs, so is Joshua Kelly, no pun intended. It's going to be so low that like he becomes very much playable in our lineups. Or you think people are going to look, well, it's Houston, and he still gets pass catching work uh, to some degree, not as much as we'd like. But so maybe this is the opportunity for us to play Eckler. Do you think the industry is going to like go there at all? Uh, I don't think they're going to go to him, no. Uh, I think that for the, everyone to really start to jam Austin Eckler in, he's going to have to have a price point at like $6,700, $6,500. Mm -hmm. uh, at seventy seven, there's just comparable names that, you know, he's $200 less than Nick Chubb, for example, 300 less than Saquon Barkley, and we already have value. I, I don't think it's something I would recommend. However, having said that, it's pretty incredible the box score that he put up here, eight catches, 48 yards, that that led him to 13.3 fantasy points. He had four carries for five yards, did not land in the end zone and still scored double-digit fantasy points. Pretty scary for the game that he does land in the end zone, right? Uh, he, he's definitely, we all know the upside that he possesses, but man, it's a shaky situation. Um, you could yeah. argue with Slater out the you know on the line, that the, we're potentially getting ready to the football even quicker, dumping off to him. But, man, the Chargers, not a good situation right now. Yeah, I'm thinking this could be a get-right spot for the team in general, though. So I, yeah. um, I'm certainly considering – I do – speaking of uh, offensive line injuries, just real quick, going back to Lamar Jackson, keep an eye on the offensive line there. I don't know that it matters for DFS. Lamar Jackson is going to be Lamar Jackson regardless. But they had another left tackle injury. They've got a lot of injuries on their offensive line. But conversely – 
the Bills secondary continues to be very banged up. So that's another situation to keep an eye on. Xavier Rhodes actually tried out for the team uh, today, 32-year-old free agent Xavier Rhodes. So that kind of gives you – and listen, Xavier Rhodes had a great career, but he's a free agent for a reason. So that kind of gives you an idea of where the secondary is at for the Bills. So something – those injury situations on both the Ravens and the Bills, especially since it's such a high-profile game – Definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, let's go to the running back 6K range. And I, I'm going to be keeping an eye on Eckler. I think this could be a situation yeah. where Brandon Staley says, let's just put our foot on the gas. This is our coming out party. We're one and two. We need to get a decisive win here. And we're just going to run Eckler and we're going to pass to Eckler and, you know, go from there. So it's just something I'm, I'm considering there if it's a contrarian play. 6K range, there's one guy that sticks out to me more than anybody, and it's Jamal Williams, obviously, because yeah. DeAndre Swift is out. And as much as Craig Reynolds has some value here, I believe he's 4,900. I think Jamal Williams is clearly the guy that's going to get most of the rushing work and the high-end rushing work inside the five, inside the 10. Is he somebody that you like, or do you think he's going to be too popular? Where are you at on Jamal Williams? Uh, well, first of all, he's going to be incredibly popular, um, assuming Swift gets ruled out. We, we expect Swift to sit. Uh, I mm-hmm. think that's kind of uh, pretty clear here. So, yes, I like Williams. It's likely going to be one of the obvious values where you're just going to go ahead and play it, really, no matter what, uh, at this point in the week. The thing that's somewhat concerning is we haven't seen a ton of passing volume, although it's largely due to the fact that Swift has been out there and been healthy. Um, cause Jamal Williams is more than capable of catching passes out of the backfield. Um, so there is some room for some upside here. I would expect five, six targets, uh, especially in this kind of a game. So I do like Jamal Williams. I think he's probably pushing the highest owned player on the slate ownership levels. Um, but for good reason. If he is, is that somebody you're just going to avoid in GPPs or you're, you're happy to accept the, uh, the value there? Uh, I will mostly be accepting the value there. Um, mostly be accepting the value there. Right. As again, we're, we're, we're talking about this on Tuesday, which is very, very, very early uh, in the week for me. Fair enough. Anybody else before we get to the 5K range, anybody else in the 6K range that's jumping out to you? Um, in the 6K range, there's always one guy. I mention him quite often, probably more than anyone really should. Uh, and it's Najee Harris. I knew uh, it. He, he has the ability to rack up 13 to 15 fantasy points. Uh, pretty consistently, and that's with totals that, you know, he hasn't a run for more than 60 yards yet. And I'm not saying that he will. He, he may not be the guy that rushes for 100 yards even once in a season anymore. We don't know that necessarily in this offense. Uh, home game against the Jets, price point, no one's really going to play him. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's got 20-plus fantasy point upside in this matchup. Yeah, I like that play. Okay, so 5K range. Anybody sticking out to you? Some of the some of the guys that I think are going to be very popular with David Montgomery likely being out of this game is Khalil Herbert, who, oh, by the way, when, when Montgomery went out, he rushed 20 times for 157 yards and two touchdowns. By the way, that was only on 38 snaps. I mean, that's you just can't get more efficient than that. And I think most people thought Khalil Herbert was probably the more talented back than David Montgomery at this point. And here he is showing us, and he's only 5,700, and they're playing at the New York Giants, which, you know, New York Giants looked okay, you know, so far this year, but certainly seems like an okay matchup for Khalil Herbert. Uh, Brees Hall, I think, is interesting, but I don't think I want to play that game trying to decide Michael Carter and Brees Hall. Damian Pierce at 5,600 looks like some value there. Uh, anybody, any of those guys that you like or anybody in the 5K range that you like? Uh, yeah, Damian Pierce, uh, definitely someone you have to be considering. Claire Herbert, we need more information, but certainly on the radar. 
Um, Travis Etienne, somewhat interesting, not typically what you would recommend on a bring back with an Eagle stack. You're not typically bringing it back with a running back. Uh, however, he's been relatively solid in the passing game so far. You know, three targets, been pretty efficient with it. Also, what I like about it is when we see three targets, three receptions here from him, they're not three for 16. It, you know, we're, we're pushing 20 to 30 yards consistently now for three straight weeks. That shows me that, you know, he's obviously done all of this without finding the end zone yet. It shows me that he's got 25 to 30 fantasy point upside on those certain weeks. This to me profiles as a week where we might see Trevor Lawrence dumping off to him out of necessity against this mm-hmm. Eagles defense. So he, he's someone I'm keeping my eye on only because I know the Eagles will be popular. And because the Eagles will be popular, I need to get a little different in some of the tournaments that I like to play. And bringing back with a running back against a team that we expect to dominate is certainly going to be different. And a running back that's not getting a lot of attention, too, because James Robinson seems to be that guy that's getting attention. Yeah. So I actually like the Travis Etienne play, and I like it as a bring back as one of two bringbacks, because I, I think Etienne with a reasonable, uh, reasonably placed, like Zay Jones, for example, like Christian Kirk is, a, is an obvious answer there. But I think Zay Jones is in play. I wouldn't go the Marvin Jones route, but I think Zay Jones and and um, Travis Etienne as a bringback on a Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith stack is, is perfectly fine. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so the 4K range that, you know, I, I had located Craig Reynolds as potential value 4,700 against Seattle. I mean, I think it's probably best just if you're going to play a running back there to go to Jamal Williams. Any interest in Craig Reynolds as sort of a pivot off of Williams or are, are we just being too cute there? Yeah, I don't mind it. I, I really don't mind it. I, I think it's fine. I If we see any sort of ownership level on it, though, I would recommend pivoting to someone like Naeem Hines or another guy that I'm going to give you that's also involved in the passing game. At least he was last week, which was their first competitive game of the week or the season. James Cook, Buffalo Bills, Hmm. four targets, five receptions, 37 yards. Now they find themselves uh, in a situation where they're kind of beat up after the last week. Another road game against a team that we expect to put up a lot of points. We could see James Cook on the field catching passes from Josh Allen again. I'm only recommending James Cook or Naeem Hines in the event that Reynolds becomes somewhat popular, gaining any sort of traction around the industry. This is where I would look to pivot to some of these guys. Yeah, the thing about James Cook, it's so, and we're going to pivot to receivers in a second, but it's so hard to assess from that Dolphins game who was actually getting the volume that they should have gotten and who was getting volume because the Bills were dropping like flies with cramps and and things of that nature. I mean, what Miami does to their their teams or the visiting teams, it's, I mean, it's not great. Like they're in the shade the entire game. It's brutal heat down here. I, I live here. Um, I should know. And on one side, you have the sun shining on the Buffalo Bills or whoever the visiting team is. And, you know, so they're on the sideline in the sun and they're obviously playing in the sun. And then on the other side, you have the Dolphins in the shade. So, uh, you know, that was a very interesting game with people just kind of have like Stefan Diggs, among others, having to check out at certain times because of that. So um, I, I personally want to see a little bit more of a, I mean, again, we're talking the 4K range, but I want to see a little bit more trust in James Cook from this offense early early in games um, rather than than late. So, But I, I definitely think that's a guy to keep an eye on, certainly a game breaker. But before we go to our uh, wide receivers, there is a question in the chat that seemed to be DFS related from Joe of all trades. If we could get that up, and I'll read it for those of you not watching, shame on you. Um, but uh, for those of you listening, this is what it says. 
It says, would like to get your thoughts on how different single entry GPP lineups need to be from ownership projections chalk for them to be competitive in various contest sizes. Example, Hundo, 1K, 5K, 10K, Millie. Well, it's a tough question to answer because it does still depend on the week. Some weeks you have to get very different. Some weeks you don't because some weeks we have obvious free squares, right? When you have obvious free squares, that definitely changes things overall. Um, For me, I don't think you have to get away from the chalk. I think you just need the overall uniqueness of the lineup to be there. Um, so what I would, what I mean by that is you can still eat the chalk. You can still play all of the best plays. You're just taking a stand on one to two spots, whether it's a team defense and a tight end or a team defense and a wide receiver, two, three, four, whatever it may be. Uh, being the only one on them or one of, say, in a single entry contest, three people that have a player is far more beneficial than taking your 25% owned guy that we know is a great play and forcing in a guy that's 10% owned that is very clearly not as good of a play, but 10% of the field also still has that player. Um, I think that's something that a lot of players fall into is getting a little too cute with ownership and getting off of the very clear best plays in an effort to reduce their ownership when, you know, even thinking about the million, you know, think about the millionaire maker, right? Even if someone in that contest is 7% owned, 5% owned, that's a lot of entries that still have that same player that you do, right? Whereas in a single entry contest, you can go down and get someone that you literally might be the only one who has played them, right? So it's very, very different in those contests. But I would focus on just making sure your lineup is unique and not so much on lowering the ownership number. Fair enough. I like it. Um, we have some questions too. We don't need to put them up, but um, from Nico and from Monir, these look like redraft questions and they are especially good for Adam and Dan who are going to be on here on this channel live at eight o'clock. So make sure you get those questions in there. Funny comment from Richie Smalls, 2320. Richie, thank you for tuning in. It says you've only been on here for a few minutes, which means you might not have hit the like button and subscribe to the channel yet. So if you haven't, please do those two things. Go ahead and review the podcast too, if you don't mind. Um, Wherever you listen to your podcast, you can review it. A few minutes behind, and I'm shocked you guys didn't bring up the Doug Peterson revenge narrative. Very interesting. Doug Peterson, former Eagles coach, former Super Bowl winner. Called the Philly special? No, not really. Actually, Nick Foles kind of called it, and uh, and Peterson just agreed with it. But uh, I mean, that obviously is just a funny, fun comment. But anything to say there about that revenge narrative? I think it would, Mike. I think it would be funny if every single Tuesday and or Thursday people came into the chat and came up with the most ridiculous revenge narratives, like some random player who's like playing his oh, old yeah. team that he played for for like two weeks and then got cut. Revenge narrative. That would be really funny. So for those of you listening come up with something for Thursday for, for some of these games. That would be really fun to consider, but Mike, any comments about Doug Peterson coming home? Uh, look, I mean, it's something you can always note. Uh, I think the cha- the team has changed so much, uh, especially with Jalen Hurts taking over here at quarterback that uh, there, there's not a lot to take away from it other than clearly some emotion on his end, clearly a, a spot to be motivated for, um, but not something that I think has a massive impact. All right, so let's talk about wide receivers. At the top, we have some familiar names. We have Stefan Diggs going against Baltimore's – I mean, I, I, I talked about Buffalo's secondary with, without even mentioning Baltimore's secondary. Both of these secondaries – and I should have, I probably should have said that when we were talking about 
all the people that are out. Both of these secondaries are really, really banged up, making this game all the more interesting and making the total as high as it is. Stefan Diggs at 8,400, Devontae Adams at 8,300. Those are the two guys in the 8K range. And then we have Amon Ross St. Brown and A.J. Brown under them. Those top four, I think there's a drop-off after that with Michael Pittman, not from a price standpoint, but just from a caliber standpoint. Stefan Diggs, Devontae Adams, Amon Ross St. Brown, who's coming off a somewhat of an ankle injury here. A.J. Brown, who interests you in those top four? Uh, I mean, Diggs has to for sure uh, against Baltimore. He's very clearly Josh Allen's number one target. It's a disappointing loss that they're coming off of, a game that they Mm -hmm. should have won. Uh, I I think that they go that way early and often. So definitely on Diggs. Adams, very interesting. Uh, Matt Collins is clearly wide receiver number one in Las Vegas now. So I'm not sure what to do with Devontae (laughs) Adams. Uh, No, I'm going to play Devontae Adams still. Uh, I continue to play him. hope the price point continues to drop. Uh, Emmanuel St. Brown, super interesting. Definitely want to note that ankle injury. Um, while the results uh, of the tests, I, I guess, were relatively positive, uh, he's still going to carry that questionable tag throughout the week. Um, you know, Swift is already going to miss there as well. So things could get interesting here for him, but he, he's been fantastic. And his box score Last week, he should have had a touchdown again last week. Tackled, I believe, inside the two-yard line on a pretty significant play. Um, just an absolute stud. He, he's been fantastic, and his defense is terrible on on his team, so it always gives him more opportunities to score. Uh, I really like him, but I, I think Diggs is probably the only one I'm planning to play out of the top three or four here. All right. So, by the way, you brought, you brought up Matt Collins. So let me just go to him real quick because he's 4,200 this week. Let me just ask you two questions. Um, they're, they're, they're at home against Denver. If Hunter Renfro was back, do you play Mac Collins? If Hunter Renfro is not back, do you play Mac Collins? If Hunter Renfro is back, I do not play Mac Collins. If Hunter Renfro is not back, I might play Mac Collins, but I'm probably more likely to take the value at the running back position, uh, as opposed to here, but he's certainly someone to consider. The thing that I think happens in this spot they made a lot of moves to go get Devontae Adams here in this spot, right? It's a home game. It is an absolute must-win game for this team. If they don't win this game, their season is over. It's mm-hmm. going to be nearly impossible for them to make the playoffs if they go 0-4 to start the season, considering the division that they're playing in. It's going to be very, very difficult. So the thing that I expect to happen in this game, win, lose, whatever, is I expect Devontae Adams to touch the football. I, I think that that's what's going to happen in this spot. Uh, when you throw Renfro in there, like, yes, Matt Collins had 10 targets, eight the week before. Uh, those were games where the team really, really struggled uh, at times, right? I'm not going back to him. I'm going to be happy that I played a lot of them last week and mm-hmm. that it was the reason that I got some money in my account here. But I, I'm... I'm off Matt Collins this week, and I might regret it because he's probably going to be popular again, but I'm off. Yeah, I mean, my thought with Renfro being back, and that might be like that being a reason to play him is because people will be off him if Renfro is back because they're just going to assume he's going to suck up those targets. But when Renfro was playing in week two, I mean, Matt Collins did have eight targets, caught five of them. So it's just it's something to at least point out that if everybody is like, fleeing the Mac Collins train because Hunter Renfro was back. I think at 4,200, you, you still could see the value that you'd want to see from a $4,200 receiver. But let's go to that 6K range real quick. Any, there wasn't a lot of guys that jumped out to me in this 6K range. Anybody that jumps out to you? 
Gabe Davis, for the record, Gabe Davis was, was somebody that did actually jump out to me. I, I think he has the same sort of boom potential of Devontae Smith and a similar floor as well, where if he's just not getting the targets, then you know you, you might be in bad shape. Uh, any thoughts on Gabriel Davis or anyone in the 6K range? I don't mind Gabe Davis. I'm going to sit it out on Gabe Davis this week, though. Uh, two guys I love in this range, DK Metcalf, CeeDee Lamb. I love CeeDee Lamb in this matchup. I love him in this spot. CeeDee Lamb has double-digit targets in every single game. The fewest amount of targets he has seen is 11, where he only caught two against Tampa Bay. He's going to have double-digit targets once again in this game. His box score from last night, while it looks pretty good at 22.7, should be north of 30 easily as he dropped a very easy long touchdown. Would have been 60-yard play. Um, Yeah, no, CeeDee Lamb is far too cheap for his role in this offense. Cooper Rush has proven that he is not the average backup quarterback in this league. Uh, I like him in this spot. So, And then dropping down a little bit before – He's 5,900, so he's not quite in the 6K range. It's Tyler Lockett. Uh, Same thing here. Like CeeDee Lamb, double-digit targets pretty consistently here. Yes, Geno Smith is the one throwing them. Fortunately, this week, like last week against Atlanta, they get to face the Detroit Lions in a controlled environment in the Dome. Uh, I love me some Tyler Lockett. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. If you, I mean, I'm assuming if you're stacking Geno Smith, it's with one of the two receivers, and it's more likely DK over Tyler Lockett. Um, it's actually more likely Lockett over DK, but it's likely both. Uh, there's a chance that even in cash games, I'm going to have the triple, all three of them. I'm going to play. G- I think Gino might be my cash game quarterback this week. I love it. I love it. it very, very interesting. As far as CD lamb is concerned, we saw Noah Brown get a lot of work. Is that somebody to maybe in, you know, again, they're playing Washington is Noah Brown, a guy to consider here, um, as, as one of maybe a, a more contrarian Dallas receiver. Yes, but I'm interested to see if Gallup is indeed available. Gallup was supposed to potentially be available last night. He was not. If he is available, I just told you I love CD. I think CD is just underpriced either way. I'm very interested to see how that eats into Noah Brown's uh, you know, market share. He did have seven targets last night. He's had five catches in every game. Uh, only five targets against Cincy. There, there's a significant difference between five and seven targets versus 12 for CD Lamb. Um, my concern with Noah Brown is the rising price point. You know, we talked about him earlier in the season. It worked out. But my concern is now that he's almost $5,000, if Gallup's back, if Schultz is back in that lineup as well, we could see a game where Noah Brown all of a sudden has three targets, two catches, 18 yards, right? I, I think that's very, very possible. So the 5K range has a lot of guys that I think people are going to be interested. I mean, obviously, Devontae Smith at 5,800 makes a lot of sense at home against uh, Jacksonville. And and we talked about A.J. Brown at 7,400. But Curtis Samuel, again, 5,700 at Dallas. I have no problem jamming him into a lineup. I think Rashad Bateman is interesting. Like, yes, he's not getting the targets. And he, he only had four targets last week. But there are going to be games where Rashad Bateman is just going to go off. And it's just a matter of being on the right game there. I think in that game, people are just going to want to stack Lamar Jackson with Mark Andrews. Not that I have a problem with that. But I do think knowing that Bateman is on on the field a decent amount, I mean, 60% of the, the snaps last week, but prior to that, it, it was certainly more than that. He he had 80% of the routes run on, on dropbacks. Boom or bust, but against this Bills defense, I feel like Bateman could be the guy to have like a Devontae Smith type game. What say you? 
Oh, yeah. I absolutely love Bateman. Uh, I think this is a spot where he's going to see additional targets out of necessity. Um, so, I, yeah, I do like him quite a bit. Anybody else in the 5K range? And and are you are you going to go back? Not that you were on Devontae Smith uh, necessarily this last week, but is that a guy to go back to in this high, likely high-scoring affair? I don't mind it. Uh, I think that, you know, it, it's tournament only for sure. Um, he, he's going to be extremely volatile from week to week, uh, in my opinion, just because of the rushing upside that Jalen possesses, the desire to throw to A.J. Brown, and then Dallas Goddard being available there. Uh, I think that we're going to see some extreme variance week to week from Devontae. So tournament only category for me. Uh, other play that I could consider getting to would be Brandon Cooks, uh, 5,800 mm-hmm. for Houston against the Chargers. The Chargers are kind of a mess here. This game could ultimately be incredibly competitive. Um, you know, horrible, horrible box score. But one thing that's not horrible about this box score is the number of targets, right? 12, 10, 7. Yes, you could say it's trending down. It's trending down because they played Chicago. The game is slower. There's a lot more rushing in the game. Not terribly worried about that. Uh, I think it could be an interesting time to jump aboard here, considering he hasn't scored a touchdown yet, but has seen quite a few targets. Speaking of targets, once we get to the 4K range, uh, which we'll do right now, uh, Romeo Dobbs, eight targets, played 90% of the snaps, 73 yards and a touchdown. He's only 4,500. Zay Jones, who I really like at 4,200, playing at Philadelphia, uh, for the record, Say he caught 10 of 11 for 85 yards and one touchdown last week. And then, of course, we mentioned Matt Collins. We'll have to wait for the Renfro news on that. But are, are Dobbs or Zay Jones on your radar? And it, regardless, anybody else in the 4K that's jumping out to you here on a Tuesday? Yeah, uh, so I'll start with Zay Jones. Zay Jones definitely on the radar. Uh, Dobbs, not so much. Just because of the opponent, I think it won't be necessary. I think you're kind of flirting with disaster there, uh, depending mm-hmm. on what you play him, where you play him. Um, but I do like Zay Jones. I do like Marvin Jones as well. Um, any, either of those guys, uh, both 4,200, 4,300, um, similar, obviously situation here. I think that they are definitely in play. They're very cheap bringbacks for the Philly stacks or to round out lineups with skinny stacks, depending on if you're playing more Baltimore and Buffalo. Um, yeah. So Marvin and Zay Jones, both going to be in the player pool. Love it. And Jay Peach, you say uh, Swift will be out, St. Brown in, Montgomery will be out. Uh, We totally agree. I mean, we're going to wait for official uh, word on that because we can because it's only a Tuesday. But I absolutely agree with uh, those three status reports coming from you. And Eric uh, Fournette as my RB3, trade him for CD. Uh, Ask Adam and ask uh, Dan. They're going to be on the live stream at 8 o'clock on this very uh, YouTube channel. So um, I probably wouldn't do that. I'd probably hang on to Fournette, but um, certainly could ask them. That'll be a fun live stream. All right, let's touch on tight ends real quick before we get out of here, Mike. Uh, at the top, well, again, familiar names. Mark Andrews, who should have a huge game against Buffalo. Baltimore is at home. He's 7,100. He certainly interests me, but he's really the only guy at the top. And when I say at the top, like the top three or four priced uh, tight ends, he's the only guy that really interests me here. Uh, do you like Mark Andrews this week? My, um, I suspect you do. And what other tight ends are you looking at? Yeah, I like Mark Andrews a lot. Uh, He's looking a lot like uh, a Travis Kelsey. You know, Lamar to Andrews is looking a lot like the Mahomes to Kelsey of old. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think this is something that you can roster every week for the most part. Uh, I expect, again, double-digit targets for Mark Andrews. They're going to force the ball to him. He's had some pretty good touchdown variants in the last two weeks, uh, scoring three touchdowns. That's certainly helped the box score. Um, But he's playing like an $8,000 player, uh, you know, looking at the box scores, 28-9, 28-7, like he, there's a lot of $8,300 wide receivers that you'd be pretty happy if you 
could find that box score from them, uh, you know, in hindsight. So I do like Mark Andrews. I think that if I'm playing him, it's going to be what I do a lot in, in cash games is he's treated as a wide receiver or flex play. And I'm probably playing another cheap tight end with him to make it work. Absolutely love that. Anybody in the low range? I mean, Goddard's there at 4,500. He did leave the game, but came back in. Tyler Conklin, you know, you do have a quarterback switch with the Jets. So I, I don't know that I want to lean on his targets. He's He's been really targeted at a level I don't think anybody thought. And he caught eight of eight targets for 84 yards last week. Uh, Evan Ingram at 3,400. He only had one reception on three targets, but uh, I think week to week he could have some spike games and certainly against Philly. Uh, he's a guy to at least consider at 3,400. But any of those cheap, because you just mentioned Mark Andrews, maybe in the flex spot with a cheap tight end. Uh, any cheap tight ends that are jumping out to you today? You know, he's someone I don't play often. I definitely play him less than the field does. Uh, but TJ Hawkinson is on my radar this week. And that's largely due to the fact that I'm playing Geno Smith and his pass catchers. Um, with with DeAndre or with Swift out and Amandra St. Brown, while I do believe he will ultimately play, he is a little banged up and could leave the game at any time. Uh, I think that we could see a little additional work for Hawkinson in the passing game here. So because of the just general roster construction, this actually profiles as a week where I will end up playing him when I, I typically don't when the field does. All right. I don't mind that play at all, especially under uh, those circumstances that you set out. So that's our early look. I mean, I'll just point out from a defense standpoint, we usually don't cover defenses on the early look. We'll just cover them on the game by game preview, which is coming at you Thursday, by the way, at five o'clock Eastern Standard Time. That'll be a live show just like this one. But, you know, the Packers at 4100 is interesting. They're, they're the top defense from a price standpoint. And it's certainly a good matchup going to uh, going up against um Let's see, Brian Hoyer as the backup for Mac Jones. Mac Jones will probably be out a while. People don't pay up for defenses. But because we have some value on this slate, I think it's certainly a week to potentially be contrarian and pay for that high price defense. I'm not saying I'm going to put the, the Packers in all my lineups, but they're certainly going to be in a few. And I'm just going to find that value at the running back and the wide receiver, potentially the tight end position, maybe even at the quarterback position in, in those like Geno Smith or Jared Goff lineups. So I, I think that is, I think the Packers are actually in play, whereas I normally wouldn't be looking at the top price defense, the Cowboys 3,500 at home against Washington. We saw how the Cowboys just absolutely terrorized Daniel Jones and that offensive line. I don't see Carson Wentz, you know, coming off nine sacks, having a, a good time in Dallas uh, against that Cowboys defense. Giants 3,100 home versus the Chicago Bears. Don't mind that one. And, of course, the Detroit Lions uh, 2,800 home against Seattle. Now, Mike would say that's a really bad play. And now that I think about it, maybe I would just pay up for the Giants or the Cowboys in that situation. And maybe there's going to be some low-end defenses in that 2,500 range. But first look there aren't a lot of great discount defenses. Now there's a lot of variance with defenses. So that doesn't mean you can't play a $2,500 defense, but yeah. the the matchups don't seem to be favorable in that sort of two, uh, 2,300 because that's the that's the bottom price to like 28, 2,900 range. So something to keep in mind. But um, Mike, any, any final thoughts going into our Thursday game-by-game preview? Uh, no, other than it's going to be a week, we got to continue to watch uh, injury reports but that's true every week really for the rest of the season now at this point uh and don't be afraid to play players who you think are bad players when they're in great spots absolutely that's really great advice uh don't blacklist players because players uh 
have good matchups and then all of a sudden they're they're good so i love that uh again at eight o'clock in just 30 minutes we're gonna have uh adam azer and dan schneier doing uh their their thing their redraft show answering your questions so make sure you tune in or stay tuned for that but that's our show that's our early look that's our week three recap and we'll see you on thursday on fantasy football today dfs at five o'clock live for our game by game preview until then we'll see you next time Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.